Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 today. Um, maybe you've had one before. I don't, I don't know if you call it a, a moral dilemma or an ethical challenge. You look at a situation and you go, how do I make the right decision here? I, I know that whatever I do, there's going to be a consequence. There's, there's, a, there's a ramification from my choice. And how do I know that I've made the right thing? How do I know that I've done the thing that's right before God, even though there's pressure for me to respond in a certain way? I think at some point, all of us probably have faced one of those moral dilemmas. And if you haven't, you probably will at some point. How do we know how to make right decisions in moments when in the workplace, at school, in a family situation, we feel like we have to choose what's right, even in moments when it seems like it might be wrong? This is the place where we find Peter and John, Acts chapter 4. If you remember where we've been Back at the beginning of chapter 3, Peter and John, who were Jesus' disciples, they go up to the temple. Um, on the way, they stop at a, at a gate on the way up there called Beautiful. There's a man there that, that cannot walk. They speak to him. He is healed. They go into the temple courts, and he's walking and leaping and jumping and praising God. People come around. Peter and John start to preach. They throw him in jail. They have to stand before the leaders, both the religious and the legal authorities. It was called the Sanhedrin. And they say there's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. It's a bold statement. They say that all this happened because of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And last week we saw how the, the leaders recognized that even though Peter and John were unschooled, they were just ordinary people, even in the midst of that they saw their courage and knew, if you remember we talked about this, that they had been with Jesus. Well, it's with that statement that we'll pick up. So Acts chapter 4, verse 13 Peter and John are standing in front of the Sanhedrin, these, these religious and legal authorities. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in and again commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Do you see a clash here? You, you got Peter and John who have had their lives changed because of their relationship with Jesus. And now you've got the religious leaders, the authority of their day, saying, stop, you can't do what you're doing anymore. A moral dilemma, ethical challenge. What do we do? Here's what they say, verse 19. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard and after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. The people in this story, the people of God, Peter and John, had to choose, will we disobey the commands of man to be able to respond to and honor what God has asked us 
to do. And many people see in this passage of Scripture what, what you might refer to as a model for civil disobedience. Even beyond that, there's this, this paradigm here, I think, for making decisions when you have to respond to a situation based on the convictions of your faith and not just what you're told is right to do. And this raises a pretty sticky situation. This gets tricky, right? In fact, maybe the way that we would say this is, when is it right to do what is wrong? When is it right for us to obey God, even if people say that your decision is the wrong decision? When is it appropriate for you to disobey authority and what authority asks of you to do? When do you choose to determine to do the right thing, even if it's considered disobedience and the wrong thing by others? When do you go along with the crowd? And when do you push against peer pressure? When do you see a situation differently than what people in the culture around you see it? When is it right to do what is wrong? And I think this is really important because it's a reality of our day. And we, we talk about the culture, we talk about the world, but the truth is that there's many times when if we are going to live according to the principles of God's word, we might find ourselves at school, in the workplace, in our family, in our, in, our, in our communities, in just the environment in which we live, that we're pushing against the, the current of culture and we'll find ourselves having to make a decision, how do I respond to this moral or ethical dilemma? Now, before we go any further, two, two things about this message, and I think this is important for us to say. One is this. This will probably not be the most inspirational sermon you've ever heard. But I think it's really important, and it's really practical. God's word is, is timeless. And so even if the principles we look at today do not apply to your situation right now, they are timeless principles that I believe that at some point God will bring back to your mind and help you to make these decisions. But God's word is not just timeless, it's also timely. And if this service is, is like the other services, somebody in this room right now is going to hear this message and go, man, that's exactly what I need to hear for the situation that I'm in. So it might not be incredibly inspirational, but I, I believe it's really important. The other thing is this, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to bring application from this message into your life. You know what you're wrestling with. You know the place in your home, or in your school, in your workplace, in, in a relationship, in, in the environment of the way that the culture affects you, that God's speaking to you. The Holy Spirit's challenging you about this. And I believe the Holy Spirit, as we walk through this today, is going to stir some things in some of our hearts and ask us to, to think about this in a different way. So all of us face these, these challenging times. And so today I want to give you three decision-making steps for challenging times. If you find yourself up against a, an ethical dilemma or a moral challenge, what do you do? We're going to use Peter and John's response in the verses we've just read to be a model for us to have three decision-making steps for challenging times. Here's the first one. If you're faced with the moral dilemma, what do you do? Number one, you ask the question. First thing that you do is you have to ask the question. There is kind of a defining question. It's the one that Peter and John ask here that helps us to know in a situation where we're not sure how to respond, it helps us to know what we are to do. Here's the question that we have to ask. Acts chapter 4, verse 19. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. What's the question that they ask? And, and this is the basic question for all of us. What is right in God's eyes? When we come up against a situation and we're not sure how to respond, when we're facing something and we've got to figure out the right way to go forward, the question we ask is what is right in God's eyes? 
We looked a couple of weeks ago at how as followers of Christ, we're, we're Jesus' agents. We're his ambassadors. We're to live our lives in his name and for him. And if that's the case, then this, this is a guiding principle for us. We ask the question, what is right in God's eyes? Because somewhere there, there's the idea of what's right and what's wrong, and we have to make that determination. I think I mentioned last week, I kind of grew up out in the country a little bit in, in between our house and and uh, my grandma, my cousin who lived next door, we had, we had, I don't know, several acres that was there. And there was some of it that was yard, and then there was field, and then there was woods. And we could just go out and play and, and do this kind of thing. And on the other end were the aglers, were our neighbors. And there was like this, nice people, really nice people. And there was this ditch that kind of ran between our, our two houses. When I was a kid, I thought it was like a river, you know. Actually, it was like a dent. Like there wasn't much to it. And that was like the dividing line between the two pieces of property. And I can remember my parents saying, look, you can, you can play and you can go out and you can do whatever you want. You can roam around you know, the field, the woods, whatever, but don't go past the, the ditch at the Agler's house unless we know it. We had friends that lived down kind of the street a little bit on the other side of that house and, and people that we went to school with, and sometimes we'd go down there and play. But my parents had said, look, don't, don't cross the ditch unless you tell us first that that's what you're going to do. There was a very clear line, and we knew where we were supposed to be and where we were not supposed to be. And there was this giant willow tree that was right there next to the, the ditch. And sometimes we'd climb up in the willow tree, and from out of the top of the willow tree, we would look out on the forbidden land, right, you know? Kind of like, where do we go? Where can we go? And if Mrs. Agler saw us up in the tree, she'd yell out her kitchen window, you boys get out of the tree, you know, this kind of thing. But there was this real clear line, and we knew don't cross that line unless your father says it's okay to cross that line. Look, there's a biblical principle there. And we have to look at, at things in life, and we have to say what's right, what's wrong. And the question isn't what's right in the eyes of other people. The question is what's right in God's eyes. Does that make sense? And when that line's there, you don't cross it unless you know that you have the father's approval to cross that line. So Peter says, look, the question we have to ask is what is right in God's eyes? And then he expands on that question a little bit. He says, when is it right to listen to people? He says, should we listen to people? And this is a question that you need to ask. When is it that someone who has an expectation of you, who has authority over you, when they say something, when is it right to listen to people? This is a fundamental question. And scripture is very clear about this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Peter, right? Same guy. Same guy as in Acts chapter 4. Peter writes and he says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Understand this. When there is someone who is in a position of authority over you, the biblical response is obedience. Believers are commanded to obey authority. It's really pretty simple. And you'll see this all throughout Scripture. There's a passage in Romans chapter 13, first seven verses, where Paul really spells out. And he says, the authority that's been placed over you, in particular in the government, you are to obey that authority. There's just, there's just no question about it. That authority is placed there. By God, believers are commanded to obey authority. Principle that's all throughout God's word. Go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Every mom and dad's favorite verse. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And the parents said, Amen. yes, they did. 
right? Biblical principle. Why? Children, obey your parents. It's, it's pretty simple. Why? Two reasons. One reason is, Paul says, so that it may go well with you. Understand this. And he wants kids to get it right out of the gate. When you obey and honor authority, then God can bring blessing in your life. But when you rebel against authority that God has placed there, you block God's ability to bring his favor and his blessing into your life. Does that make sense? The other reason why this is so important is because he's saying, look, parents, when your children are young, teach them to obey authority. Because if they cannot obey the authority that they can see, how will they obey the authority that they can't see? So this is a critical principle. This idea of obedience to authority, it starts when you're young, and then give him four more verses, and he says this. Ephesians 6, 1, children obey your parents. Ephesians 6, 5, slaves obey your masters. And if you read that, the principle there isn't just about slavery in the first century. It's this idea of whether it's in the workplace or if it's in the school, wherever it is that you have a task to do and someone is placed in authority over you, you submit to the authority of that person that God has placed in your life. So as we talk about this idea of maybe disobeying authority, don't get the idea that Scripture is all about pushing the limits on this. It's just the opposite. The New Testament example shows that disobedience to authority is the exception and not the rule. The rule of the New Testament is if there's authority, you obey that authority. To not obey the authority is the exception and not the rule. So we are to listen to those that are in authority over us. So we asked the question, when is it right to listen to people? And we looked at that. The next question that comes out of what Peter and John said there in, in Acts chapter 4 is, when is it right to listen to God? And this is important to ask. So if I were to ask you the question, when is it right to listen to God, your answer would be, man, you're good. Right? We always listen to God. There, there's, there's no excuses to this. It's just the truth of God's word. And that makes it not so easy because it could lead to conflict. Because if we're called to listen to God, and obedience to God somehow puts us in conflict with what we're hearing from people, then we have a tough situation. There are times when doing what is right before God means doing what is wrong before people. There will be times, probably in your life, if you haven't had them, it's around the corner, when doing what is right before God may be perceived as doing what is wrong by other people. We'll get this in the next chapter. Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter has to make a decision. He says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. You'll see this idea all throughout the book of Acts as we go through here that there are times when you have to take a stand. Paul says it about his own ministry. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So let's just spell this out. I know this is basic, but I think it's important to be clear. It's never right to do what is wrong in the eyes of God. It is never right to do what is wrong in the eyes of God. In fact, if you do what's wrong in the eyes of God, Scripture refers to that as sin. You've rebelled against God. That's sin. On another hand, it is sometimes right to do what is wrong in the eyes of man. If you're, if you're experiencing peer pressure, if you're asked to do something that you think does not line up with God's word, then it is 
true that sometimes it's right to do what is wrong in the eyes of man. As I, was, as I was studying for this, I came across a quote in, in a commentary in the book of Acts by R.C. Sproul. And here's what he says. This was really helpful for me. We are always to obey those in authority over us unless that authority commands us to do something that God forbids or forbids us from doing something that God commands. Isn't that helpful? You obey authority unless it commands you to do something that God forbids or it forbids you from doing something that God commands. So how do you respond? Like, how, how do you even know? <clears throat> you come against a, a moral dilemma. How do you know when it's right to choose what God would have you to do instead of choosing what peer pressure or your boss or, or your friend or culture says would be right to do? How do you know when it's right to do what's wrong? Sometimes you have to choose God instead of what people would say. How do you know when it's the right time? Let me give you a couple of scenarios. Here's the first one. This is really basic. Obey God instead when asked to sin. If you have to choose between God and people, then you obey God instead when asked to sin. Right? We, we've already talked about this. It's always right to obey God. And so how does this fit? If you're asked to lie... If you're asked to maybe cheat on some numbers at work or cook the books a little bit or you're asked to go along with something that, that may be sinful or perverse in some way, that in that moment you say, look, I, I'm going to choose to obey God instead of doing what God's word is sin. Let, let's give this a little bit more nuance. Sometimes we obey God instead when scripture conflicts with culture. There may be times when our culture is going in a certain direction. And we would be inclined to kind of go along with it. And we have to realize that we have to choose to obey God when Scripture conflicts with culture. Currently, probably the place that we see that the most in our, in our current culture, I would be in the, able to say would probably be in the area of sexuality. Scripture defines marriage as a relationship between a husband and wife and that sexual activity is to be saved for that marriage relationship. But that's not what our culture is saying. And what, what I've seen quite often, especially when couples come in for premarital counseling, if they've made a decision to stay sexually pure until after marriage, which is what God's word asks for, right? If they've made that decision, they find out from their peers and from their friends, they say, are you crazy? Why, why, why do you live that way? Why don't you just do what you want to do? Why do you live according to some other standard? Well, it's because that's what God's word says. And there may be times... When you choose to live according to God's word, that people around you might say, are you crazy? Right? Have you seen that? And the truth is, we obey God instead when scripture conflicts with our culture. Why? Because the popular majority does not equal God's divine approval. Just because people say, hey, this is, this is right or this is normal, or, this is the thing that we should do, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's what God says to us. Take this one step further. We obey God instead when your testimony is compromised. Look, if you're in a situation and you look at the decision you have to make, and you know that if you do what other people want you to do, it's going to compromise your testimony as a follower of Jesus Christ, then you may have to choose to obey God instead. You have to ask, will people question my belief in God? Will people be turned away from Jesus? Will my response bring glory to Christ? What do you do in those situations? And look, the truth is, there's a whole lot of things in this world that at times 
are not cut and dry. They're not yes and no. They're not right and wrong. There's a lot of kind of gray areas, right? Have you experienced that? Like, you know, there's the one where, where grandma calls the house and little kid answers the phone, says, hi, grandma. And grandma says, is your mom there? And mom's across the kitchen going, What do you do? Because that's a moral dilemma, right? How do you respond in that moment? There's times when we go, what do I do in this moment? Is there a clear right and wrong? And, and I know that in your workplace, that in your friendships, this is easy to preach on a Sunday. It's not so easy to apply on Monday. And that's where we need the Holy Spirit's help in this. And at some point, I have to say, how does my decision in this situation affect my testimony as a follower of Jesus Christ? Am I pointing people to Jesus through how I live this out? Or am I actually covering up my faith or maybe even taking this thing backwards? Maybe the, the best analogy for this, because of this time of year, is to think about it in, in the terms of football. What's the goal of offense on a football team? It's to take the ball and move it down the field. It's to get the ball into the end zone. That's, that's the whole thing that the offense wants to do. And every choice you make, everything you do, is to move the ball down the field to try to get there where you can score that touchdown. What if we thought of our faith the same way? What if we thought of the decisions that we make and say, is this moving my testimony as a follower of Jesus Christ further down the field? Is it pointing people to Jesus? Is it helping them to see him and then ultimately to know him as their Lord and Savior? This decision that I make, is it helping my testimony or is it hurting my testimony as I make these decisions about how I live? Let's take this one step further. If you, if you find yourself with a moral dilemma, obey God instead when at crossroads of grace. Obey God instead when at crossroads of grace. Look, there may come time when you can do what everybody would say is the right thing, and yet it feels wrong because you know that instead of just doing what you should or you're told to do, instead you need to extend grace to someone else, forgiveness to someone else, hope to someone else, love to someone else. Let me give you a for instance. I was talking to a friend, and he said that, that, that there was somebody who had entered into a contractual relationship with the business that he runs. And then circumstances happened out of everybody's control that meant that, that it was wrong for these people to have been in this contract, and he had the power to let them out of it. He didn't have to. He had every legal right to hold them to this thing that, that honestly, they didn't need to be in anymore. It wasn't right. That, that Things had turned. It wasn't the right thing. But he didn't have to let them out of it. Financially, it would be better if he held them to the contract. But he knew that it was in his power. And as a result of it being in his power, he could make a choice and extend grace to them. Does that make sense? Sometimes the right thing to do is to extend grace, even if for the bottom line it might seem like the wrong thing to do. Sometimes the right thing to do is offer forgiveness, even when you could hold over those people's head the, the hurt that they had brought to you or the pain that they brought. Sometimes the right thing may look like the wrong thing to others, but you're at a crossroads of grace, and if you'll take the turn towards grace, you could change someone else's life. Does that make sense? Which leads us to this thought, too, that you obey God instead when led of the Holy Spirit. There will be times when you may come face-to-face -face with someone and you know that it's in your spirit 
the right moment for you to tell them about what Christ has done for you, even though it seems like the wrong time and setting to someone else. And that's when, just like Peter and John, you say, I I can't help but speak about what Jesus has done. Or maybe I can't help but speak the truth and love to you. And as the Holy Spirit leads, there will be moments when he will guide you to do the right thing, even though it may seem wrong in the eyes of other people. So when you come up against this moral dilemma, these ethical challenges, I would say the first decision-making step for you to, to make, the first direction to go is to ask the question. Number one, you ask the question. Then after you've asked the question, here's the second thing. Number two, consider the consequence. Number two, consider the consequence. Because if you have to make a decision, have you realized there's always ramifications that come with our decisions? Acts chapter 4, verse 19. These guys knew that, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him, you be the judges. They're saying, you be the judges. If there's consequences, you determine them. You decide it. We're okay with what the consequences might be. We have to make a decision knowing that there may be ramifications that come our way. I I think it's important for all of us not just to learn this. You know this, but to remember this. Your choices come with consequences. Your choices come with consequences. Does anybody have lunch on the brain? I'm going to make a prophetic statement right now. Someone in this room is going to order something for lunch that they think they want, and then they're going to regret it later. Amen? Right? It happens. You ever eaten something, and then afterwards you're like, oh, I'm sorry I did that. Why? Because your choices can come with consequences. And this is true about when we choose to do what's right, even if some people think that it's wrong. Because if you've asked the question, God, what's right in your eyes, and you have clarity about the right thing to do, now you have to decide, am I going to do the right thing before God, or am I going to do the wrong thing before God? And either way, there's consequences. Look, let's talk about this. I'll give you three of these real quick. There's the consequences of doing the wrong thing. If you do the wrong thing before God, there will be consequences that come your way. Let me give you three of them real quick. One is what I would call the consequence of a guilty conscience. The consequence of a guilty conscience. You ever had a guilty conscience? You've done something, and then afterwards you're like, ah, oh, I wish I, hadn't. wish I hadn't done that. I was thinking about this, and I think I've confessed this to my mom before, but if not, mom, you're hearing this for the first time. I love you. And... Um, I remember, I don't know, I was probably six or seven, something like that, and, and my, my parents were working, and whatever was the, the child care arrangements fell apart, and so I had to go to the house of a friend of theirs, and, and she, she babysat me, and while I was there that day, I broke something in her house, and she said to me, you make sure you tell your parents that you broke this. Guess, guess who forgot to tell his parents? Guess who forgot? I, I'm, guess who forgot? And and, you know, this was, this was years and years ago. Forty years later, when I got thinking of yeah, now she knows. Thank you, brother. Um, Forty years later, I kind of think back at this, and it still bugs me. It still kind of upsets me because you have that thing that sticks in your conscience. Now, there's no condemnation for those who broke the, I mean, for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? You know what I'm talking about, though? But there's that guilty conscience that comes when you make the wrong choice. There's another consequence that when you make the wrong choices, I'd call it the consequence of breaking a human rule. The consequence of breaking a human rule. That that you do something 
that you, you know is the wrong thing, and it goes against some of, maybe just call it the laws of man. Let's say that's in your workplace, that you, you happen to, to break a human rule. The truth is, if you are asked to, or you feel the pressure to do something that's wrong, and you get found out, could you lose your job? Absolutely, you could lose your job because you broke a human rule. If it's illegal, could you go to jail? Absolutely. Why? Because there's a consequence to breaking a human rule. You can have a guilty conscience. You can break a human rule. And then don't forget this one, too. There's what I would just call the consequence of sin. That's not breaking a human rule. That's breaking a divine rule. That's breaking one of God's rules. And the consequences of sin, well, we've talked about that. There can be divine consequence. So if you're going to make the wrong decision, know that there's consequences that can come. But let's not fool ourselves. If you make the right decision, if you do the thing that's right before God's eyes, there may be consequences as well. There's the consequences of doing the right thing. And if you're going to make a decision to do what's right, even when others say it's wrong, you need to be ready for the consequences because we've already read about them. We saw them in Acts chapter 4. Here's the first one. I'd call it the consequence of opposition. The consequence of opposition. Those first verses that we read, kind of Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, when we read that, did you see what happened? The disciples faced opposition. People said, hey, you can't do this anymore. You shouldn't do this anymore. They fought against them in the midst of this. And the reality is that if you make the right decision and others think it's wrong, you may have pressure come against you. True? Have you ever, have you ever like been in a river and, and had to walk upstream? Or have you ever been like maybe out in the ocean and you're moving against the current? It's a difficult thing to do. And life can happen that way. There, there can be pushback when you choose to do the right thing and other, think, other people think it's wrong. Consequence of opposition. Here, here's the second thing that might happen. I'd call it the consequence of isolation. That you might find in the midst of this that even though you did what you think is the right thing, now all of a sudden you're standing all by yourself. And nobody else is standing with you. And, and you've been isolated, ostracized. You might even feel like you've been exiled because you made a decision to do the right thing. And, and as, as a point of that, you've, you've been pushed out. And then you have to make a decision. Is this really where I want to be? You might begin to have kind of a fear of missing out. Why am I the only one who's taking a stand? And know that when you do the right thing, this is a consequence that may come your way. It doesn't mean you... You did a bad thing doesn't mean you did the wrong thing. might mean you did the right thing. And this is a consequence that will happen in, in the place or the setting that you're in. Now, before we go on from this, let, let me help you with this a little bit. If we know that this is true, that there may be times when doing the right thing may lead to the fact that you may feel isolated in a certain way in the workplace, in your family, whatever that might be, then do your best to not make it worse than it has to be. Right? If you choose to do the right thing, don't be a jerk about it. Does that make sense? Like, like do it with, and we'll see this in a moment, do it with grace, do it with honor, do it with respect. But what I see sometimes is people go, well, look, if, if it's going to isolate me, what do I care? H- how do I care? Who, who do I care about them? And they respond in a way that actually makes them look more like a jerk and less like Jesus, right? And that's, that's a big deal. Where I often see this happen with people is in their families, because families have layers. They have, they have nuance to them, right? And you have to be really careful because there's this history. I've really seen this happen a lot when there's a conflict between a parent and a child. And somebody wants to push back 
and then that whole thing can blow up? Let me, let me just say a couple of things that I think is really important for us to know. One is this. If you're a child and you live under your parents' roof, unless they've asked you to sin, I, I think Scripture says you're obligated to obey them. And, that, and that's key. The other thing is this. Scripture says we are to honor father and mother. So know this. You can disobey and not dishonor. You can still honor your boss. You can honor your parent. You can honor those in authority and still not choose to do what they've asked you to do that goes against what's right in God's eyes. Does that make sense? So don't make the isolation any worse than it has to be. Here's why. Because one other consequence is, is what I would call the consequence of persecution. That at some point, if you choose to do the right thing, something tough may come your way. And look, th this is very real. For Peter and John, Acts chapter 5, they, they were put in jail and they were beaten. Now, in our, in our culture, in our society, odds are that if you make a, a decision that's, that's right in the eyes of God, you might not end up in jail or beaten, although there are people all over the world for whom that's a very real possibility. But in our world, you, you may be isolated. You may be opposed. You might be passed up for a promotion. You might even lose your job. What do you, what do, you do? That's a tough decision to have to make. And the truth is, if, if you find yourself in one of these moral dilemmas, I, I can't tell you what to do. I can't make the decision for you. You have to weigh the consequences. You have to look at what God's asked you to do. These are difficult situations, but I can give you maybe just a good question to ask. Would you be willing to stand alone before people in order to stand confidently before God? Would you be willing, in, in a moment of, of ethical challenge, to make a decision where you might have to stand alone before other people in order to stand confidently before God. These aren't easy things to talk about. So if you come to a moment of challenge and you've got to make a decision first, ask the question, God, what's right in your eyes? Number two, consider the consequences. Consequences of doing what's right, consequences of doing what's wrong. And then the third thing that, that we see Peter and John do and that I challenge you to do is this. Number three, do what is right. Ultimately, at some point, after you've asked the question, considered the consequence, it's up to you to choose what's right before God. So, so they asked this question, they thought about it, and then verse 20, they say this, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. At some point, you have to choose what's right, even when it's wrong. So if you're in that place, let me give you a couple of guidelines, a few things that I think are good to keep in mind. Here's the first one. Guard your attitude, right? We've already talked about this a little bit, but if you have to do something that's perceived as wrong or maybe even outright disobedience, make sure you do it with the right heart. Don't be a jerk about it. There, there's a good model for this in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel chapter one. Daniel and his friends were young Jewish men who were taken into exile in Babylon and they were being trained to be leaders in, in Babylonian society. And part of that was they had to go through this, this pretty rigorous training regimen. And they were told what they could eat. And they were eating the choicest food from the king's table. And Daniel said, look, but that's against what we believe. That, that's against our standards as, as young Jewish males. And so they said, look, we're going to choose to eat what's right for us to eat instead of what you've told us to eat. And the, the ruler said, no, 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 you have to eat what we tell you to eat. And they weren't jerks about it. They just said, how about this? How about you let us do what's right before God for us, and then you come back and check later. 
And if you go and read Daniel chapter 1, you'll find that Daniel and his friends excelled above and beyond the others that were a part of the regimen that was prescribed to them. They weren't jerks about it. They just did what was right before God, even though it was wrong before man. And because they had a good attitude about it, it actually, God brought, brought favor to them in the midst of this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Remember, Peter, we're back here again. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander, for it is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If you have to choose the right thing, then start by guarding your attitude. I'd also encourage you, use your Bible. If you have to make a decision, use Scripture as the guideline. When you establish convictions for your life, establish those convictions based on the Word of God, something that's objective, something that does not change. Do not establish your convictions based on your own thoughts, like your own preference, your own internal struggles, your own bad feelings, your negative experience. Make sure the convictions that you have are based on God's word and use your Bible, not just your own ideas. I've had one kind of overriding concern about this message. My concern has been that some of you would hear me say that it's right at times to choose to obey God and disobey others, and you'd go, I have been waiting for this. And tomorrow morning, you're gonna walk into your boss's office, and you're gonna sit down in front of your boss, and you're gonna let them have it. You're going to look them right in the eye, and you're going to tell them everything you've been thinking about them for the last six months. And then you're going to just kind of chew them out. You're going to let them have it. You're going to feel good about yourself. And you're going to say, the last thing you're going to say is you're going to look at them and go, and if you don't like what I'm saying, you can call Chad Gilligan. He told me to say this. Like, that's my concern. But that's not what this is about. Don't respond based on your own pent-up frustrations. Respond based on the word of God. Why? Here's another principle. Let your life change be your life guide. Let the life change you've experienced through Jesus Christ be the thing that guides your life and the decisions that you make. Peter and John said, we will not stop talking about this. Why? Because we can't help but talk about the things that we've seen and heard. They didn't say because we just want to be bad guys or because we just want to feel cool. They said, look, we're doing this because our lives have been changed. The guide for the decisions we make is the experience that we've had through Jesus Christ. Let your life change that's been brought to you be your life guide. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. Listen to these words. Jeremiah says, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. We were... We were together as a family a while back, and we went to like a, a farmer's market type thing, a street fair kind of thing. You know the thing I'm talking about? We got vendors, and some people are selling stuff, and you got produce, and then there were these different vendors that were selling food, and it was hot. It was like, I don't know, seven, 800 degrees out that day. It was just hot, and, and we were like, we ought to get a snack or something, you know, and so we're walking along, and, and a couple of my kids got some ice cream, and a couple of them got like a slushy snow cone type of thing, you know. Rhonda got, you know, some kind of frozen drink, you know. We're walking, hot chocolate, frozen hot chocolate or whatever, and we're kind of walking around. And I'm like, what do I want? I want something. And we come up, and there's this vendor there. Remember, it's 700 degrees. There's this vendor there, and they're roasting corn on the cob. 
which is the wrong thing to have. But for whatever reason, this spirit moved in me. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit. It was a spirit, though. This spirit moved me and says, that's what I want. I want that. And so, so I, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll take that. And they said, well, how, how do you want it? I'm like, I, I don't know. How can you get it? Right? That's cool. So what they did is they cut the corn off the cob, and they put it in a bowl, and then they, like, put butter on it. Like this melted butter. Can I get an amen? They put this melted butter on there a couple of times. Then, like, some Par- Parmesan cheese, then, like, a little lemon pepper, and then some kind of, like, Cajun seasoning kind of mixed it up. I'm like, okay, I'll eat it. You know, and I took it. I took one bite Life change. It was awesome. I'm running down the street yelling at my family, you got to try this. This is awesome. This is incredible. It's so good. I can't quit talking about it. I told the story in the last service. My daughter has already sent a text that says, not the corn story again. I can't quit talking about it. Why? Because it's so good. It changed my life. I'm preaching to you about it right now. Every time we have corn on the cob at house, you know what I'm doing? I'm putting stuff on it. Why? Because it changed my life. When something changes your life, you can't stop talking about it. Does that make sense? So I don't make my corn decisions the same way I used to. I'm a new man. And you don't make your life decisions the same way you used to. Because if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Their life has changed. Look, let your life change Be your life guide. Choose to live according to the principles and the truths of God's word. And this is more important than just for you. Here's why. Your testimony talks. The way that you live speaks to others about who Jesus is. And it points him out to them. 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Look, the choices you make should be in alignment with who you are. If you all of a sudden have to make a a tough choice based on your integrity or your character, the people around you should not be surprised by that. Whether they like your decision or not, they should look at you and go, yep, that lines up with who they are. They might think it's the wrong thing, but they still might know that you're doing it Because of who Jesus is in your life and your commitment to integrity. This is huge. And how you live will point Jesus out to them. you got to decide, is this moving the ball down the field or not? Your testimony tomorrow is built on your choices today. Who you are and who, who other people see Jesus in your life. Your testimony tomorrow is built on your choices today. So, so that's why I, I encourage you. Look, look, God's word is, is timeless. And I know that, that probably most of us aren't finding ourselves in the midst of a, of a moral dilemma right now. But these principles are really important for us to hear. For some of you, it's timely. Like, like something's going to happen to you yet this week. You're, you're sitting there going, God, thanks, because I needed this. For others of us, we may not need it now. We'll need it later. But I'll tell you this. Here's what's most important. You have to decide today. You have to decide today how you're going to respond when you come up against an ethical challenge. You need to decide today what you're going to do when you face a moral dilemma. Because if you wait until you get to that point, when life throws you a curveball, look, you you know that these decisions, they happen pretty quickly, don't they? One phone call, one email, one decision, one choice, and we can come face to face with something that literally can determine the course of our life. 
You have to decide today how you will respond. Don't wait until you come up against that detour. Maybe that's a good analogy for us because, I don't know, every so often we, we confront some construction. Have you seen that? And if you know the area, if you know where you're going, if you know the direction and the destination you're headed in, then you may be driving down the road and you get to a spot that says road closed. And you might freak out. You're like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. But if you know where you're headed, if you know the direction you're going in, then even though there's a detour, you can find your way around that. You can deal with the surprise because you ultimately know where you're going. But if you haven't made the decision of where you want to be, then you'll hit that detour and you'll be confused and you'll be challenged. Look, you, you have to decide today, how am I going to live my life? Who am I going to be? What, what do I want this to look like? Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. This, this verse came to mind when I was thinking about what Peter and John said. Remember what they said in verse 20 of Acts 4? They said, as for us, we've already made our decision. We're, we're going to choose to do what's right, even though you think it might be wrong. Joshua in the Old Testament says the same thing. He's standing before the people of Israel, and he says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, before we face that, but before we come right up against that challenge, before we hit that detour, I want you to know that we've already decided, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Look, I, I don't want you to face an ethical dilemma and then all of a sudden go, man, what do I do? I want you to decide today that you're going to choose to do what's right, even if it seems like it's the thing that's wrong. And I've got to tell you, it's going to be hard to make that choice if you haven't already decided to spend your life with Jesus. Go back to verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and knew that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Stay close to Jesus now so that you will be ready for the time of challenge. Look, I, I encourage you, stay close to Jesus now so that when the time of challenge comes, that you, you've already decided that you're gonna do what's right in the eyes of God. Does that make sense? When I was in college, I, uh, I worked a, a job in a bookstore. Kind of started out just, you know, just an employee in the bookstore and then moved to kind of like an assistant manager role and a managerial role. Kind of was there for a while and kind of moved up a little bit. And about halfway through the, the time that we were there, there was a change in the ownership of the bookstore. And so I had, I had some decision-making responsibilities that came, some to do with finance and some to do with product that we bought, some to do with the way that we interacted with customers and employees. And, and, and so when the change came um, in, in the ownership, all of a sudden it was like, I, I don't know how to answer some of these questions. I don't know this new guy that owns the store. And so when I would have to make decisions about finances, I'd have, I'd have to go to him and I'd say, hey man, how do I, how do I respond in this? And, and I began to know how he thought about things. When we had to interact with customers and no times when we had to make tough decisions and times when to give grace, I, that, that came from interacting with, with the owner. And so the more time I spent with him, the more I knew how he thought. And so eventually, when, when it came to a tough decision, I didn't have to go to the back office and ask because I already knew Bill's heart. I already, knew, I already knew what Bill thought. 
And so it was already inside of me. I knew how to respond when the tough challenges came because I had spent time with Bill. And I knew how he would have me to respond. And I knew naturally, even if it was a tough decision, the decision that I needed to make. Look, God God is the Lord of your life. Jesus ultimately is the owner, right? And if you'll spend time with the owner, if you'll know how he thinks, then whether it's interaction with people or with money or with your future, if you'll spend time with him, then when those tough decisions come, you won't have to panic or freak out. Not saying the decision is any easier, but you'll know with confidence what decision to make because you decided today that I'm going to do what's right before God, even if others think it's wrong, because I know him and he's the one who leads and guides my life. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. For some of you, this message has been timeless. And I hope that there will be principles here that you'll make a decision today to do what's right in the eyes of God. But for others of you, sitting in this room or watching on a screen somewhere, this message has been timely. It's been exactly what you needed to hear in this moment. And and you'd say, I'd love it if someone would pray for me. Because I've got to ask the decision about what's right in God's eyes. And regardless of the consequence, I need to choose to do the right thing. And God, I need your courage, and I need your help, and I need your strength. If you're you're hearing this message and you'd say, would you pray for me today? Because I need to do something that's right in God's eyes. Would you just raise your hand? You can raise your hand and put it right back down. Do that right now. That's you. Yeah, thanks. Raise your hand, put it right back down. Would you pray for me? God, I need your courage and strength. I've got to choose to do what's right in your eyes, in a situation, in in my work, in my school, in my home. Anybody else? You can raise your hand and put it right back down. Yeah, thanks. Would you pray for me today? Anybody else? Thanks. Father, we come to you. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, your word that, that speaks to us that not only challenges us, but encourages us. Lord, for some of us, there's, there's a situation that's in front of us that, that we have to ask the question, Lord, what's right in your eyes? Holy Spirit, would you, would you help us to see with clarity, not with confusion, not, not with frustration, but with clarity what it is that you would have for us to do? And Lord, even in, in, in spite of the consequences, Father, would you help us to make the right decision and do the right thing, guarding our attitude, living according to your word, showing others who you are in our lives because of what you've done in us. And God, we decide today to choose you. Lord, for those that raised a hand, God, I ask, would you give them confidence? And Lord, would you give them grace? Lord, would you give them courage? And Lord, maybe even in spite of what they expect, would you give them favor? Lord, in the decisions that they have to make, would you go with them and guide them? Show yourself to be real to them. Holy Spirit, give them everything that they need to do the right thing in the situation that they face. God, as we go from here, we ask that you go with us. Would you send us out with your special favor, with your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.